Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We begin today our, our winter spring series. Um, we like, we really like to give you a lot of content. As a matter of fact, this eight-week series will be a, a lot like being a part of either a, a, a theology class, a seminary-type class, that kind of a thing. And so I ask that you think about not just listening to the sermons on Sundays, but actually to go to our website where we have a workbook that unpacks this. This is free. You can just follow along week by week, day by day. It's five days a week of, of uh, devotional. We have small groups that are happening all through the week. There are places where you can plug in because we really want to become more than just people who have content. We want to have people be people who apply the word. Knowing the word is not what sets you free. Knowing it and applying it is what sets you free. And so in order to do that, you have to process. You have to listen to others, say your questions. Small groups are really a great place to do that. Now, I enjoy doing devotionals during this time. So on Tuesday and Thursday at 9 o'clock, I do a Facebook Live. We have a, we have a Facebook page called Morning Devotionals with Pastor Mike. Uh, we do, I also uh, record it to a podcast, so you can get that on Spotify. You can get it on, uh, on uh, Apple, I think, podcasts, all these different places. It is really a way for us to strategically move forward together. Your spiritual formation is really the heart of what we want for you. We want to see you developed. And in order to do that, we do it together. And as we do this together, we see our lives transformed by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. This series is based on, really, one passage. And that passage is 2 Thessalonians 2.13, the second half of the verse, and then verse 14. And, and it's funny, I've read this passage my whole life, and I had never noticed how clearly this passage expresses not only God's purpose for you, but also the purpose that will give you power in your life. If you go and Google the power of purpose, you will see so many psychological articles from a secular standpoint on how important it is for your mental and emotional health to have purpose. But it is so much more important for you to adapt and adopt God's purpose for your life. Because that purpose will change everything. So what I'd like you to do, this is a little different than what we've done in the past. I want you to turn to your neighbor. You're going you're gonna to preach this word to your neighbor. Okay, if you feel like it, I like it when you point at each other. I just think that's really fun. And I think some of you enjoy it as well. So I want you just to repeat after me, okay? Repeat phrase by phrase after me like we're getting married right now. Okay, phrase after phrase. Ready? Point at your neighbor because this is very direct, okay? So I want you to be very direct. Okay, so point at them and say this. God chose you. God chose you. 
as the first fruits for salvation. Through sanctification by his spirit. Through your belief in the truth. For this purpose. All right, now really get in their face. Come on. All right, ready? For this purpose. He called you. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you preached it to them, it means you're responsible. That means it's for you. But notice how direct this is. But the whole thing hinges on this last phrase, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is your purpose. So here's what this verse is saying. It's saying the destiny of your calling. Can I just say to you, you are called every day by God. When you first wake up, he's calling you. Throughout the day, he's calling you. He doesn't just call preachers and missionaries. He calls every believer. And your calling has a name. And this is the God-appointed, blood-bought, spirit-assured goal of your life. He says your salvation and your sanctification, your faith, your calling are all aiming at this, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's really important to see. You are the recipient. You must be in the position to receive because the one calling you is God. Now, God never calls the qualified. He qualifies the called. And you must understand this. He didn't call you because he saw something in you because there's nothing in you. He called you because he chose you. And he chose you for a destiny that's better than the destiny you could plan for yourself. And the destiny he has planned for you is the destiny he designed for you. As a matter of fact, for you to pursue any other destiny then the destiny God has for you means you have to go against your design because you were designed for glory. Now, here's, the, here, here's really important. There are many people who the sense of being called by God is a scary thing. But the scripture says the instrument of the call is the gospel. In other words, it's the good news. Now, I, I've been in church my whole life, and I remember feeling called to ministry when I was 12 years old. But I was sure that the call was not good news. I was sure that the call was bad news because I used to see these missionaries putting up these slides, and they would show these horrible-looking snakes. And I hate snakes. I'm pretty sure they hate me. And I was like, if I, if I surrender the call, I bet he's going to send me to a place I don't want to go, and he's going to make me do things I don't want to do. 
So I believe the lie of the enemy that the call of God was bad news, not the call of God was good news. But you see, if you understand the instrumentality of what God is calling, he's not going to waste any of your sorrows. He's not going to waste any of your wiring. He's not going to waste your education. He's not going to waste your experiences. As a matter of fact, God is the only one who can weave your messed up life into a masterpiece. His good news is nothing is lost, not even your tears. Says your tears have been stored up in heaven. You matter so much to him that even the things where you just had a tear slip out, God said, I'm storing that up for you. Everything about you, God has designed for you to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. To resist him is to resist your own design. To resist him is to resist your own destiny. Now, it is so important that you understand this. You cannot get there on your own. It is always the fact that Jesus has united his life, his glory to you, and you are now united to him. So as long as Jesus exists, you will exist. As long as Jesus has glory, you will be the possessor of his glory. You have a union with Christ that cannot be broken. And because of that union, you are capable of glory. Now, here's the issue we're going to look at today and over these weeks is you may be capable of the glory, but you're having struggled to have capacity for the glory. Because many of us don't realize how little we actually want of the glory of God. And he has to reveal it to us. And so here, here's the thing that I'd like you to understand, at least from my understanding of the Bible, is God is not asking you to be a better you. He's asking you to realize how bad you really are. And to then say, I surrender that. You see, like when you're angry, he doesn't want you to go, I'm not angry, I'm not angry, I'm not angry. He wants you to go, I'm angry. What do you want to do with this? I'm struggling with lust. You go, I'm not struggling with lust. I'm not. Without honesty, you can't get healed. And so God already knows. The funny thing is we think he doesn't already know. I had a student one time at, uh, at ATS. He goes, you know, past uh, professor, he says, when I preach a great sermon, I make sure that I give God all the glory. I said, well, you just said in front of 50 people how great your sermon is, so I'm not really sure that you're fooling God. He said, I just try to make sure. I say, you know, all these things. I said, why don't you go ahead and tell God how prideful you actually are so that then he could actually heal the pride and you could get rid of it because we all see how prideful you are. God sees how prideful you are. You're the only one who doesn't see how prideful you actually are. And so many of us, you see, what we're doing is we're trying to hide our brokenness. We're trying to hide instead of realizing we're united with the one who sees us all the way to the bottom 
and loves us all the way to the top. You see, only because of our union with Christ and only because the gospel is good news can you actually be honest. You don't have to fake it till you make it. You actually can begin to confess so that you can be cleansed and healed and forgiven. But many of us, you see, we don't understand what real holiness is. We think holiness is us doing our moral best. But the, the, the capability that you have for glory is only going to be manifest as you surrender and say, Lord, I will separate even my will to you. I will separate myself unto you. I will allow you. I'll give you consent to consecrate me. I'll give you consent to sanctify what's not sanctified in me. It's not, it's not you trying to offer to God your own holiness, but it's you recognizing you have no holiness and separating yourself unto God so he can make you holy. Many of us, the way we offer our morality to God is like a child offering mud pies to his parents. Of course, the parent loves the child, but the mud pie you can't eat because it's mud. And so many of us are like, look, God, what I've done. And he says, it's still righteousness as filthy rags. And you say, well, I'm really religious. That's a problem. Being religious is like being a Christmas tree all decorated, but you're cut off from life. And eventually you die. Well, you're already dead, but eventually you start seeing the signs of the death. It's just a prettier sin or a prettier sinfulness. Decorated. The only way to actually experience this kind of destiny and calling is to begin to let him be the initiator. Let him be the cause of the holiness in your life. Now that can't happen without faith. But here, here, here is the issue for many, many believers. They, they, they have come to believe that faith is a cause. If you ever hear someone say to you, you know, I didn't get healed because I didn't have enough faith. That's a lie. That's utterly and completely unbiblical faith. Because if faith is the cause, then faith gets the glory. See, the cause is always the grace of God. The cause is always the mercy of God. The cause is always the finished work of Jesus. Then how important is faith? Well, faith is the hand that extends to receive the gift. And if someone's given you a gift and you're unwilling to reach out your hand to take it, the gift is there, but your experience of the gift is null and void. But I've never yet seen someone reach out their hand and take a gift and go, look at my hand. What a glorious hand. Because if that were true, then the hand would overshadow the gift and the gift would be unimportant and only the hand would matter. But when we receive a gift, you can't receive it without opening up your hand. You can't, you can't grab hold of it without opening up your hand. But no one who ever receives a glorious gift ever says, look at my hand. They say, look at the gift. You see, without faith, you don't get to experience the glorious gift. 
But once you experience the glorious gift, the hand is forgotten. Because it's not the cause. It's the means. But it's not the cause. So you and I must understand that it's not ever because you don't have enough faith. But at the same time, it could absolutely be that you have not extended your hand in faith to receive the gift that's waiting for you. I hear people all the time will say, I believe God can heal. But they never do the work to say, God, are you healing? God, what are you saying about this sickness? God, what are you saying about this situation? It's lazy to simply say, well, whatever your will is. No, you are friends of God. He tells his plans to his friends. There's a lazy spirituality that says, I won't even know what the Father's will is. I'll just pray whatever. See, the, the real cause of all things is the work of the Spirit and the truth of the Word. You're called not just to be knowers of the truth, but you're called to be lovers of the Spirit. You're not to be afraid of Him. I actually had a pastor one time said, Father, Son, and what's His name? Because he knew so little about the Holy Spirit, and yet he was a pastor of a church. You see, for you to know your destiny, you have to experience the Spirit. You have to apply the truth. Are you tracking with with me in this? So the purpose, and here's the thing. This is the great thing about this. You might give up. The Spirit never does. He is doggedly determined that you would get to your destiny. He has a curriculum to get you to the destiny of the glory of Christ being in your life. Because this passage says really clearly that the goal of God's call on your life is that you possess. Not just that you have a positional thought. Isn't it a wonderful theology to think of the glory of Christ? No, he's saying, I want you to possess it. Which means that hand of faith must reach out and say, this is for me. There are many times that I run into people that will say, I will believe when I see. Let me tell you, there are things you do not see till you believe. This is the literal translation of what Paul's saying, is that everything going on in your life right now is the Spirit opening up your capacity to possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the amazing thing about this is because what what Paul is saying is the ultimate enjoyment of your life, the ultimate high of your life is when you're not just half in and half out. The ultimate enjoyment, the ultimate satisfaction that you were made for is when you're all in possessing Christ and Christ possessing you. There are a lot of us, I think sometimes in the church, like 80 to 90% of the people who are half in and half out. Do you know who the most miserable people in the world are? Half in and half out Christians. You see, if you're an all out sinner, you can enjoy your sin. If you're an all out believer, then you can enjoy the glory of God and you're living in your design. 
But if you're half in and half out, you're miserable because you have a weeping Holy Spirit in you. He doesn't leave. He just cries. I mean, haven't you heard? You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's a person. So a person being grieved means there's sadness. In other words, for many of you as believers, you may be thinking, oh, you know, I, I have depression or I have discouragement. You may just have a sad Holy Spirit within you who's saying, I have a destiny for you and you won't give me your consent. I have glory for you, but you keep going after the wrong things. You understand what Paul is trying to say and what's been said throughout the, the generations is this. You don't want too much. You want too little. Now, think about as a kid. Think about how your taste and your, your experience of things changes. When you're a little kid, a dumb, dumb sucker is exciting. I mean, we as parents, you're just like, oh, you want something? Here's a one-cent sucker, and it'll entertain them for quite a while. And you're like, yeah, great. That cost me almost nothing. But eventually, you want something more. And eventually, if you experience the authentic, the fake or the counterfeit just won't do. The first time I ever ate New York pizza, I wanted to go hit people in the South. I was like, why did you call that stuff pizza? That was like some kind of bread thing with ketchup on it. And it's been funny because I go and I speak at places and they're like, we're going to take you to an authentic New York pizza place in Western Canada. I'm like, no, you're not. It's not authentic. It's Western Canada. And I asked them this question, uh, literally this happened, I said, what culture is dominant here? They go, well, Ukrainian, Polish, and uh, Scandinavian. None of those are pizza places. <laughs> I said, give me what you eat. They said, they said, really? I said, yes. And they brought out pierogies and sausage and all these other things. And it was delicious. Why? Because it was authentic. But one day they slipped the pizza in and it was terrible. I am seeing it right now. I'm having PTSD, pizza traumatic. Why am I telling you these silly stories? Because if you settle for the fake, you'll never be satisfied. But if you say, this is the authentic, and you say, that's what gives me pleasure. That's what satisfies. I will not be satisfied with anything but my highest, my final. I mean, my mother used to make, she said, this is New York cheesecake. And it was jello cheesecake. And she'd get canned cherries and pour on top of it and then put Cool Whip. I, I don't know how many chemicals were in that cheesecake. But it had a shelf life of about a thousand years. 
And, and, and Lisa made real cheesecake, and it was so good, and I've had real cheesecake here. I will never go back. If you bring me over to your house and say, we have Jello New York cheesecake, I'm like, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm not eating that. Because you don't want to waste, as they say in the English baking show, you don't want to waste your calories. If you're going to pay for it, you want it to be ultimate. You want it to be the highest. And so why do you think the Lord says, taste and see that the Lord is good? See, you're to come into possession of glory, not the fake, not the jello imitation, the real thing. So what is the real thing? Well, it's Jesus. Think about this with me. Here's what it says about Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. When the Holy Spirit came in with your spirit, the glory of Jesus united and indwelling you. The same Jesus that upholds the whole world, the universe, by his power, by the word of his power. And then what does that mean? Well, his beauty, his, his glory is the sum of the beauties of love and wisdom and power that he revealed in his earthly life. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. But here's another thing. His victory has united. His beauty has united with you. His victory has united with you. His glory is the triumph of every battle he wins over all his personal, global, and universal enemies. Revelation 5 says it this way. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, you haven't adopted a religion. You have been adopted by the victor. You have been adopted by the conqueror. You have been adopted by the Lamb of God who overcomes the world. You are in union with victory every moment of your life. I love this one. His glory is the eternal radiance of the light of God replacing the sun and moon forever. Within you is what will light the city of God forever. The city, talking about the city of God in Revelation says, it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. You were made for this glory. This alone will satisfy the longings of your heart. Jesus prayed that you would see his glory in its fullness and on the other side of his resurrection, he said to his father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Now let's talk about what does this mean? Applying this reality, not just saying, isn't that a lovely theological truth? Applying this reality. Think about the things you and I try to get from this world and from people. We really want people to think we're beautiful. We really want people to think we're handsome or we're strong. We want people to look up to us in some way and say, you know, you're worth my time. You matter to me. 
We want to feel like we're never powerless. I mean, I, I think about all the times I look in the mirror and I see all the flaws. Or I think about growing up and, and the kids at school could pick that one thing that was wrong with you. I, I, I had to wear glasses. They looked like emo glasses before emo was cool. And I remember kids going four eyes. And, 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 and that sticks with you. We say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Bones heal. Words never leave. And the pain the words cause stay with the memory. So here's what this passage is saying. It's saying when you look in the mirror, you no longer have to look and say, am I beautiful? Because now you can say, is he beautiful? And if he is beautiful and his beauty is united with you, then whatever people think about you is not that important because the one who is important says, you matter to me. See, the very same father who would not let Jesus stay in the grave because he mattered to the father says, I will not let you stay in the grave because you matter to me. And you see, if death can't hold you, then why are you letting other people's opinion hold you? If you are rejected in this life, it is not nearly so important as realizing you are accepted in the life to come. Think about these things for a minute. If I'm united to the glory of Christ, if I am a possessor of his glory, that means I possess his beauty. No amount of makeup's ever going to make me that beautiful. No clothes can ever make me that beautiful. I could spend all my life in the gym and I'd still not be that beautiful. But by faith, I can receive a beauty that never ends. But you see, I can tell right away if you've accepted that beauty or not by how you look at yourself. If criticism destroys you, then you're still trusting in your own beauty. If praise makes you so big-headed, you're trusting in your own beauty. I've always appreciated this church, but some of the things people have said to me after services have been difficult. One lady came up to me one time and said, I would tell you you did a good job, but you get a big head, and then I'd have to slap you around. I was like, okay. See, many of us are, we are so afraid. We're so afraid of encouragement. We're so afraid of our own pride or something. We can't be real. We can't be honest. Because you see, if praise makes you prideful, there's a problem. If criticism makes you discouraged or depressed, then there's a problem. You're not counting on a beauty that's not your own. You're still counting on your own beauty. And whether you, whether you like it or not, every one of us wants to matter. We want our lives to matter. We want our relationships to matter. This is why, for many of us, approval is so big. Because if you approve of me, then that means I matter. It's why being appreciated for the things I do is so important to many of us. Because if you appreciate it, it means it matters. There's a movie called Saving 
Private Ryan. It's a really powerful movie where this one whole family is almost wiped out in World War II. All of these brothers have already been killed. And the generals and I think the president go, hey, we can't send to this mother that every one of her sons die. So they send a, a team of people to go and rescue this Private Ryan. And it's really a fascinating movie because at the end of the movie, he's in Normandy at the, at the gravesite. And he falls down and he, he's broken and he's crying and he's weeping. And he's asking the question, was it worth it for them to die so that I could live? And there's his wife and there's his kids and there's his grandkids who are only there because he survived. And yet at that moment, he's saying, did I matter enough for a sacrifice like that to be made? And the problem is he didn't. He didn't. He didn't matter enough. Just having kids is not glory. Just having grandkids is not glory. Just doing what this world wants you to do and what the world calls being a good person, it's not worth anybody dying for. It's only when Jesus dies for you. It's only when the Son of God dies for you that you yourself, though you may die, yet you will live because he alone can die for you and then give you life. But part of what happens to many of us, we don't realize because we're still trying to matter. I'll never forget that picture of that guy in Normandy. We were there in Normandy at those, those places, and he's on the ground weeping, did I matter enough for them to die for me? And you realize that, you realize in that moment, the only sacrifice that can make you worthy and make you matter is the sacrifice of the Son of God for you. And only that sacrifice can actually satisfy the deepest longings of your heart because it doesn't make you just right with your spouse or right with your children. It makes you right with God that makes you right in such a powerful way. And Are you tracking with me in this? One more thing in this, and then I, I need to press on, but... It says the glory of Jesus is he's victorious in everything he does. So what that means is this. Not only that he, he, he unites his power to you, but he unites his victory to you. And this is so important because I, I, I would imagine, if you're being honest, a lot of you are frustrated right now. There are things going on in relationship. There are things going on with your health. There are things going on you know, with your job or any of these things. And you're like... I just can't seem to get the breakthrough. And the thought is, if I could just get the breakthrough here, then I, you know, I'd be victorious. But here's the thing. The breakthrough comes when, by faith, you receive Jesus' victory before you even see the breakthrough. Because otherwise, you're counting on good feelings or you're counting on the sense of powerfulness from your circumstances not from your union with Christ. Though it may seem to the world you are defeated, you are not. As a matter of fact, what I find is frustration is God's way of saying, you need an upgrade. Frustration is him saying, 
I have more for you, but you don't have the capacity right now for it. Will you surrender to my victory so that my victory now can be your victory? Well, what does that all mean? Well, it means something really difficult for all of us. To possess his glory in an ultimate sense means you have to wait on him. One of the, the most common phrase in all the Bible is, be, is, is do not be afraid. 366 times, one for every day, one for leap year. But the next most common phrase is wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord. So in other words, to actually get to your ultimate capacity to experience this glory of beauty and worthwhileness and significance and your victory is you have to be able to wait. But in order to wait, friends, you have to know what your hope is. And you see, the glory of God is not only our present hope, but our blessed hope. See, he, he, he's wanting to appear. We're longing for him to appear so if we wait for this blessed hope, if we're living in the blessed hope now, we're already living in the victory of his second coming. Now, how does that work? Well, here's the deal. In the Bible, hope is never wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is always certainty about the future. It's not going, well, I hope this happens. No, it's saying, I know this will happen, so I get to experience it now emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, right now, I'm living in the reality of that future. Now, one of the ways that, one of the ways that this became really clear to me was my mother got very, very sick. She had, her body was riddled with tumors. Now, when that happened, I had just come from Peru, and I had seen, as we laid hands on people, tumors were shrinking like that. And I'm like, those people are strangers, God. This is my mother. So I went and stayed with her for two weeks in the hospital. I fasted. I prayed. I laid hands on her. I called out. I brought friends around. I did all kinds of things. And, and nothing was working whatsoever. And you know, there are times, no matter how much you think you're theologically astute, your mother has this way of saying, you're the child. I'm the mother. So I'm praying. I'm weeping over my mom. She puts her hand on my head and pats me, okay? Okay, she's like, I'm still the mom. And she looks at me, and she said this, and I'll never forget. She goes, Mike, I'm already healed. Whether he heals me here or he heals me there, I am healed. Now, why am I telling? Because it changed my mother to live in the reality of her healing, even before she experienced it, she lived in the reality of it. And those last days of her life, I got to see a glimpse of my, my mother in her glorified state. Now, I'll tell you, my mother used to worry about sickness all the time. When she found out she had tumors, she, went, she looked at all of us and said, see, I told you I was sick. Because she wanted people to know how sick she was, and so she was always sickness-focused. But suddenly when she said, I am healed, whether it's here or there, she became blessed hope-focused. And she's changed. the whole room changed. And people would come in, and the nurses would be ministered to by my mom. Every one of her nurses 
came to Christ in the hospital room with my mom, and they came to her funeral. People would come in to minister to her, and she would be ministering to them. I remember all these people coming in. They said, you know, can we pray for you? And she said, yeah, please pray for me. And they go, oh, God, if it be your will. I'm like, I hate it when they do that. That's lazy spirituality. If you're sick, call Pentecostals, not Presbyterians. I've been saving that up for a while. See, it wasn't yet a reality in terms of time. It was already a reality in terms of experience. See, what happens and what will happen to us is when Jesus appears, we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and we will become glorious as he is glorious. We will be changed by the sight of his incomparable glory. When he appears, we shall be like him, John said, because we shall see him as he is. See, what we can believe now, what we can hold on to, what becomes a reality now is when Jesus appears shining with glory, we will see him. And you won't be asking him questions. You'll be saying, everything I lost was worth it. Everything I suffered, it was worth it. More truly, more clearly, more compellingly, more emotionally, more attentively, more undividedly than we have ever seen anything or anyone, good or evil, all the good emotions we have ever known and all the good aspects of all the bad emotions will come together in the, in the fearful, tearful, unprecedented joy of the sight of Jesus. That's what John Piper wrote. See, what I'm asking you in this series, what I'm asking you today is for you to possess by faith what will be yours one day by sight, but to experience it now instead of waiting till you see it. Can I say it this way to you? The only gift that you can give to God that matters is faith. Because when it becomes sight, it will no longer be faith. This is the only time you have to say, God, because of the unsurpassable beauty of Jesus, because of the finished work of Christ, I offer you my faith. I believe you now that you're my blessed hope. We receive that in Jesus' name. Rob's going to come and lead us in communion. Church, at this time, we're going to transition into commun communion. And this is really an intimate time that our, our Father calls us into to remember the, the sacrifice, to remember, he, he told us to remember that last meal that he called his, uh, his followers, his disciples together. And that invitation ex still extends to us today. As I was thinking about uh, communion this month, I, that thought of just being invited to share a meal with, with my Savior was what was on my mind. And, and it made me think about invitations I've gotten from other people, you know, to, to go and, and, and eat with them. 
And I remember a lot of times I'm wondering, you know, what kind of food do these people eat? Uh, is there going to be stuff that, that I like? Uh, will there be enough? You know, um, will there be enough of the stuff that I like? Do they really, will they be able to meet my needs? And, and um, I, I was reminded that a lot of times that's, that's what the enemy comes to say to me. You know, when, when we come to the, the Lord's provision for us, does God have what I need? Does God really know what I, what I need in this situation? Can he, is his provision for me enough? And when we come to the Lord's table, we're, we're making that declaration that, Lord, we, we know you are our only source. We know you have what we need. You know, David, when he wrote Psalm 23, he, he declared that the Lord set a table before him in the presence of his enemies. And, and this wasn't a table that was deficient, a table of lack. Uh, David said his cup was overflowing. David declared that goodness and mercy were chasing after him. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yeah, yeah. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reminds us in, in Romans 8, he said, God gave up, he didn't spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. And how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Church, some of you today are hearing that lie of the enemy that uh, God is not able to give you the things that you need, that his sacrifice is not able to cover the sin, not able to cover the areas of shame, not able to get you through the situation that you find yourself in right now. And the scriptures tell us that that's all BS. It's, a, it's, it's, all, it's all lies, you know? And, and, and maybe some of those lies are things that are keeping you from getting to that, that glory that God wants, wants you to have. So I want to invite us, we're going to take communion together. If you're at home, I invite you to get your elements together. You can peel off the cap of this, uh, of the bread. It's, it's gluten-free. For those of you who whom that's important. But as we go to this, I, I, I'm going to invite you to make some declarations with me to come against the lies of the enemy, all right? So on the night Jesus was betrayed, the Bible tells us he, he took the bread, he gave thanks, broke it, gave it to, to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, the church, the declaration I want us to speak out this morning. Let, let's say together, Jesus, your broken body is enough for me. Let us eat together. Bible also tells us that after the meal he took the cup and he told the disciples that this was his, his blood, the blood of a new covenant shed for them and that every time they 
took of it, that they should remember him, remember his sacrifice. So church, as we take it together, let's make a declaration. Jesus, your shed blood is enough for me. We, we declare today both individually and as a body that you are enough we thank you for Jesus we thank you you have given us the name of Jesus that we can speak over every circumstance over every situation and Lord we welcome you into that and declare that you are enough and we take, we take our stand in that thank you for your presence in our lives even now we pray this in Jesus' name Church, uh, when we share communion together, we, we always sense that there's a, a special indwelling of the Spirit uh, to, to, for, for healing, for prayer. We, we want to offer up the time to, uh, for anyone who would like prayer. And, and so if there are uh, our elders, our prayer ministers, if you would come to the front. But I, I know for many of you, the Lord has been stirring things up He's been speaking to you, even, even through Pastor Mike's message. Maybe there are lies that you have recognized you've been believing, and, and God is calling you to let them go. Maybe you have a, a need for, for prayer, for healing, or some situation that you're in. You know what it is, and you, you can sense that touch of the Lord on your heart right now. Let me encourage you, don't walk out of this place without addressing that. You're, go, you're going to regret it. You're going to, as you walk out, you're going to sense, you know, the, the Lord was nudging me to do something and I, and I didn't take advantage of it. So if that's you, let me encourage you to, to come up and spend some time with one of our prayer ministers this morning and, and help, let them help you to walk through that and, and bring it before the Lord. We're going to dismiss and uh, let me just speak the blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you this week. I just pray that you would see his hand at work, recognize his presence in each day that you walk through this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Have a blessed week.